UAB MedCast is an ongoing medical education podcast. The UAB Division of Continuing Education designates that each episode of this enduring material is worth a maximum of 0.25 AMA PRA Category 1 credit. To collect credit, please visit uabmedicine.org slash medcast and complete the episode's post-test. Welcome to UAB MedCast, a continuing education podcast for medical professionals. Bringing knowledge to your world. Here's Melanie Cole. Welcome to UAB MedCast. I'm Melanie Cole, and I invite you to listen as we discuss the pathway for the pharmacological management of status epilepticus in pediatric patients. Joining me is Dr. Salman Rashid. He's a pediatric neurologist and an assistant professor at UAB Medicine. Dr. Rashid, thank you so much for joining us today. Tell us what is status epilepticus and what's the prevalence? Thank you so much for inviting me. So status epilepticus is a condition resulting either from failure of the mechanisms responsible for seizure termination or from the initiation of mechanisms which lead to abnormally prolonged seizures after time point T1. It is a condition that can have long-term consequences after time point T2, including neuronal death, neuronal injury, and alteration of neuronal networks depending on the type and duration of seizures. Now, the T1 and T2 can vary depending on the type type of the seizure. For example, for generalized tonic-clonic seizure, we think that the T1 is around 5 minutes and T2 is around 30 minutes. Now, a few other things to remember is that since the majority of seizures are brief and once a seizure lasts more than 5 minutes, it is likely to be prolonged. So most of the treatment pathways, like ours, adhere to a 5-minute definition for status epilepticus management. We think that this approach may reduce the risk of prolonged seizures and the adverse outcomes associated with unnecessarily intervening on brief self-limiting seizures. A couple of other definitions to remember here would be refractory status epilepticus and superrefractory status epilepticus. Refractory status epilepticus is a status epilepticus that has failed to respond to therapy, usually with at least two medications, such as benzodiazepines and another medication. Superrefractory status epilepticus is a status epilepticus that has failed to resolve or recurs within 24 hours or more despite therapy that includes a continuous infusion such as midazolam or pentobarbital. Now, in terms of epidemiology, approximately 17 to 23 of 100,000 children experience status epilepticus every year with the highest incidence in children less than one year of age. According to a study conducted in United Kingdom, the incidence of seizures under one year of age was 51 out of 100,000 patients in a year. Now, this progressively falls in later years. For example, in children who are 10 to 15 years of age, it is down to two in 100,000 patients. It is also important to mention that literature suggests that socioeconomic deprivation is also associated with increased incidence of convulsive status epilepticus in children. What does it represent, Dr. Rashid? Is this an exacerbation of a pre-existing seizure disorder that physicians are aware of or an initial manifestation of one? Yeah, that's a good question. Sometimes status epilepticus can present as an initial manifestation where there is no previous history of epilepsy and the patient comes to the emergency room with status epilepticus. But on other occasions, it may actually be exacerbation of underlying seizure disorder. So both possibilities exist. Well, then tell us about the status epilepticus treatment pathway. How should treatment pathways be devised? 
In general, treatment pathways are likely to be more helpful when evidence-based guidelines are synchronized with the cultural practices. Our status epileptics treatment pathway is largely based on 2016 guidelines from the American Epilepsy Society. We utilize the quality improvement type of approach to synchronize our local practices with the guidelines. Our team included pediatric neurology providers, pediatric critical care providers, as well as pharmacy and nursing staff, including nurse educators. The process involved analyzing the recent evidence, then looking at our local resources, cultures, and practices. Through tabletop simulations, we looked at the common problems encountered by healthcare providers while managing status epilepticus and tried to make appropriate adjustments. For example, we carefully looked at will those medications that are being proposed in the pathway be available within the desired time window? And to make it easy, we made notes on where these medications are located. For example, are they in the Pixis machine? What is their desired dilution and the rate of administration? So this pathway is for the in-hospital management of status epilepticus in non-neonatal pediatric age group patients. Like any other pathway, this pathway is designed to assist clinicians for treating patients with status epilepticus. It is not intended to establish a standard of care or replace a clinician's medical judgment or establish a protocol for all patients. Therefore, other approaches not covered in this pathway may also be appropriate. Well, then what are some of the things to be considered in the initial phase of the management of seizures and how emergent? is the condition? Why is it important to note in supportive care for these children in the pre-hospital setting? Why is this vital that EMS knows what's going on? Speak about that initial phase of the management of those acute seizures. The first phase is actually stabilization of the patient, stabilizing their airway, breathing and circulation, and doing a neurological exam. It is important to time a seizure. It is important to monitor vital signs and then assess and manage cardiorespiratory status. Also, if the seizure is prolonged, then it is necessary to obtain an IV line. One of the urgent labs that needs to be considered is point-of-care blood glucose. Because if a seizure is due to hypoglycemia, it is less likely to respond to the medications that are going to be given with this pathway. And the treatment is going to be dextrose. What's the first-line treatment and route of administration for status epilepticus? So if the seizure has been prolonged and it has lasted beyond five minutes, and if the patient has an IV line, then the first-line treatment that we suggest would be intravenous lorazepam with a dose of 0.1 milligrams per kilograms and a maximum dose of 4 milligrams. If intravenous access has not been established, then we suggest using intramuscular midazolam. If a patient is 13 to 40 kilograms, then the dose should be 5 milligram. And if the patient is more than 40, 40 kilograms, then the dose should be 10 milligrams. The patient should be re-evaluated in five minutes. And if the patient continues to seize or if does not return to the baseline or does not gain consciousness, then an additional dose of lorazepam of 0.1 milligrams per kilograms with a maximum dose of 4 milligrams can be given. It is also important to remember that at this stage, if the seizure has been this prolonged, it may be necessary to start preparing for a second-line medication. Well, then please speak about the second-line medications. If 
the seizure is prolonged or if there are multiple seizures and the patient does not regain consciousness between them and it has been more than 20 minutes, then based on the safety, tolerability, and efficacy profile of the medication, we suggest that the following medications should be used. We think that the medication of the choice in this scenario would be intravenous levetiracetam with the loading dose of 60 milligram per kilogram and maximum dose of 4,500 milligrams. Now, if levetiracetam is contraindicated or is not available, then intravenous phosphenitoin can be used. The loading dose would be 20 milligram PE per kilogram with a maximum dose of 1,500 milligrams. And if none of these two medications can be used, then phenobarbital can be considered. The loading dose is 15 milligrams per kilogram. Now, if the patient is already on anti-epileptic medications, then it may be a good idea to call on-call neurology for recommendations on second-line medications. So, doctor, what are some of the other treatment options for patients that are refractory to the first and second-line medications? You just briefly mentioned one. Expand on that for us. Yes. So, there is no clear evidence to guide therapy at this phase of management of status epilepticus. Choices include repeating the dose of a second-line therapy or going to an anesthetic dose of a medication, for example, midazolam or pentobarbital. But if anesthetic medications are used, then a continuous EEG monitoring should also be considered to guide titration of these medications. So as a summary, Dr. Rashid, what are the take-home points from this discussion? What would you like other providers to know about status epilepticus? And when you feel it's important, they refer to the specialists at UAB Medicine. It is to be remembered that this pathway is for pharmacological management of status epilepticus in children and does not take into account individual patient scenarios, for example, an urgent need for intubation. Therefore, while managing the patient pharmacologically, it is extremely necessary to think why the patient is suffering from status epilepticus. Therefore, diagnostic workup, for example, labs and imaging, should be completed as soon as possible and occur simultaneously and in parallel with the treatment. And when establishing disease management pathways, it is important to analyze and find ways to synchronize evidence-based medicine with the local resources, cultures, and practices. Now, most of these patients who develop prolonged seizures do present to the emergency room. So many a times, neurology is already involved in their care. But if there was a prolonged seizure in a patient and the patient did not come to the hospital, then pediatricians should refer them for further evaluation to the pediatric neurologists. Thank you so much, Dr. Rashid. What an interesting topic. Thank you for joining us. And a community physician can refer a patient to UAB Medicine by calling the MIST line at 1-800-UAB-MIST. And that concludes this episode of UAB MedCast. To refer your patients or for more information on resources available at UAB, please visit our website at uabmedicine.org physician. Please also remember to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and all the other UAB Medicine podcasts. I'm Melanie Cole.